Hello, everyone. This is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, where we replace hopelessness with hope. And you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. Mm -hmm. Today's topic is all about trauma. And I'm here with Laura Coley, the intake director of the Nehemiah Project, and Chad Wiles, the director of education and counseling. How are you guys doing? What's up, Mike? Hey, Mike. So today, trauma. Uh, Pretty heavy topic, but very, very relevant and um, definitely something that we need to dive into. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited because I'm going to learn a lot today and I'm excited to hear you guys spit the knowledge. Pont- <laughs> pontificate. All right. So first question, let's jump right into it. What is trauma, Laura? Uh, that's a great question, Mike. And mm-hmm. um, I think I want to start out by just establishing a biblical worldview for this. Mm-hmm. Um, because essentially trauma, the layman's way of explaining it, is just when bad things happen in your life. Um, bad things happen to you directly or you experience uh, events in the world that are bad. So, um, mm-hmm. Chad, can you go ahead and just establish for us how trauma fits into a biblical worldview? Yeah. So, in biblical counseling, we always say every issue that we face or struggle with is due to sin. Now, it's not always your individual choice sin. You know, we have the sin of omission, meaning not doing what God said to do, or the sin of commission, which is choosing to do uh, a sinful act. But then we also have the sin of suffering, meaning when you sin at the hands of another, when someone else chooses a sin against you, and that has a lot of re- repercussions. Mm. Sin came into the world from in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve decided uh, to not trust God but to, to do the one thing that they were told not to do, which was eat of the fruit of the tree of wisdom. And at that point, sin came into the world and Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And that's a spiritual death as well as a physical death. And so everything that God has created and designed in the garden, how he set everything up to function was broken and perverse. So sin, Satan, sin is essentially disobeying, disregarding everything that God has designed or created. And so from that, you get the perversion of sex, you get the perversion of, you know, human life, murder, abuse. You get all those things coming out. We see that all throughout Scripture. You don't have to go very far. Go to Cain and Abel. Cain murders his brother. You go on over um, to Noah and the flood. The whole earth was so sinful mm-hmm. and perverse that God destroys everything. And that's like three chapters after <laughs> yeah, we, we, chapter yeah. three where sin enters the Exactly. We're, we're just getting started. You go over to the time of Abraham and you see the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the perversion there right. of everything to where they're even wanting to rape the angels, angels that come. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Right. You see incest with Lot. You see, um, you go a little bit further. You see um, Jacob uh, deceive uh, his father and Esau and take his birthright. You see um, Joseph um, get uh, sold into slavery by, by, his, brothers. by his brothers. Right. I mean. You go like we can just we yeah. haven't even gotten out of Genesis yet. Sin is just affecting right. every relationship. Exactly, and then if you go over to the New Testament, we see that explained Ephesians two one through three. We've read it here before, but basically everyone is children of wrath. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, following the ways of this world. You see in Romans one that same kind of thing is as God gives man away to their own sinful desires, the destruction and the depravity that comes from that. Yeah. And so from that place comes suffering, which is where trauma uh, comes out of. So it sounds to me like the Bible is pretty clear on mm-hmm. the reality of sin yep. and its per- pervasive nature in terms mm-hmm. of every relationship. Mm-hmm. And it seems to turn people against one another. Absolutely. But there is an enemy, right? a spiritual enemy. That's right. And we have spent two podcasts... Talking through that. Talking through that. So if you guys don't know who that enemy is, go back and listen to those podcasts. Mm-hmm. But Laura, who is our spiritual enemy? Our enemy is Satan. And uh, scripture also makes it clear that he is real, that mm-hmm. he has an agenda. Um, scripture describes him as a prowling lion who is looking for someone to devour. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
when we go through seasons of life where um, lots of bad things are happening, it would be unwise of us to not consider the fact that we have a real enemy who yeah. desires mm-hmm. for us to suffer, who desires right. for the image of God to be perverted, mm-hmm. um, and who mm-hmm. doesn't want God to receive glory. And so um, having a spiritual enemy is a component to living in a fallen world as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so this is not how God has designed it to be. Um, the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of Christ coming to die and take the full wrath of our sin and and allow us to come back into a relationship with him, brings life back to our soul, back to our spirit, to renew and to restore. Um, and so that's we're going to talk a lot about that at the end of this. But due to sin, everything God originally designed was destroyed and and sin destroys and perverts all of that and so mm-hmm. out of that like we said comes people s- sinning against one another and hurting yeah. one another mm-hmm. and sin sin has physiological consequences i mean Absolutely. i know we talk we talk about it in a spiritual sense right but i mean mm-hmm. clearly it, the spiritual is driving the physical so what Absolutely. are some of the i don't know physiological uh, side effects, that you, I guess you could say, of sin. Yeah, so let's dive a little deeper into just some of the science behind trauma. And, you know, again, the reason that we wanted to talk about this is because this is something that we see often mm-hmm. in counseling um, that people realize something's not quite right here. Like I might be having some symptoms um, related to something I've been through and they're aware that it's because of the suffering that they've endured. And so why do we label it trauma? Uh, The APA, so the American Psychological Association, they just describe trauma as any deeply disturbing or distressing experience. So that's a pretty Mm -hmm. wide net. I like to define it as any type of event that triggers a person's sympathetic nervous system. So part of our autonomic nervous system, um, it's something that God built into our brains to protect us so Mm. that we can respond to stressful situations. So the way I like to explain it... That's that fight or flight. Exactly. It's the fight, flight, or freeze, I like to call it, Mm -hmm. um, response. And so the way I explain it to clients oftentimes is like if you were out in the woods and you saw a grizzly bear, you wouldn't sit there and go, wow, that's a fuzzy animal. It has brown fur. It has claws. (laughs) You know, you would just instantly... Run, right? Because right. your brain switches over from cognitive prefrontal cortex thinking about what you're doing with your mm-hmm. day into autonomic nervous system response. Mm-hmm. I need to survive. I need to run away. Mm-hmm. And so that affects how our memories are created and how they are stored. So when we're mm-hmm. going throughout our regular day and our parasympathetic nervous system is guiding us. That's what keeps us calm. That's what regulates our digestion, keeps us breathing, right? Mm -hmm. So that allows us to use that prefrontal cortex and to create cognitive um, memories. And so when you're going through your day, like if you you know, think about it later. Sometimes it's like watching a movie back in your mind, right? Right. You can remember I went here and then I went there Mm. and I talked to this person. And that's because as you are acquiring information and sorting through it and storing it, your brain is creating these longer neural pathways. So Mm. that's how it stores information is in these neural pathways. Mm. On the other hand, when you're in a very high stress situation, when you've got uh, neurotransmitters firing that are telling you that you're in danger, Mm -hmm. your brain is actually not creating those long neural pathways. They're creating shorter neural pathways that need to fire very rapidly mm-hmm. in response to a threat. So that's when you're having racing thoughts and when you have heightened emotions and you might see more flashes of images. Mm-hmm. And so that actually affects the way that a stressful memory gets stored in your brain. Right. There's also been lots of studies done that show that there's a relationship between an increased level of adrenaline mm. and cortisol, which is our stress hormones, right? right. So when mm. you have a high level of those stress hormones, there is a reduced level of memory retrieval in the brain. Mm. So that's oftentimes too, like we talk about how eyewitness testimony is not always reliable, right? Well, Mm -hmm. when you're in a high stress, high adrenaline, Mm -hmm. high cortisol situation, your brain is not creating cognitive memories. You're actually creating what's called sympathetic memories. What are the differences there? Like just practically. Yeah. So a cognitive memory, like I said previously, is like it almost is like watching a movie. Mm -hmm. Like you can see the whole thing start to finish. You can kind of remember. It's objective and factual. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And like if I were to say to you, like, Mike, do you remember what you did for your 25th birthday? Mm -hmm. You might be able to think of a specific memory. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can or not. I don't know. That might be a bad. I was in of rehab. Your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can remember that very well. Twenty five was not a good year for me. <laughs> Sorry, but Chad, how was I've your twenty fifth birthday? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, under a bridge. <laughs> uh, that's true, actually. As a matter of fact, and then I was in rehab. Okay, I have Way a better one. If I in, asked Laura. you about the day. <laughs> Sorry, I know as oh, it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, "Oh, this is a bad question to ask." Um, oh no! It's but if good. I asked you about the day that Lexi was born. Oh, that was a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you can That's probably like, can you just tell us maybe like one thing you remember about that day? Joy. Just yeah. Joy. Or just yeah, it was just joy. I mean, yeah. I was in awe. You know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can probably see images. You can probably think oh, yeah. about conversations that you had that day. Mm-hmm. So that is a cognitive memory. Mm-hmm. So you can recall it when you want to. If mm-hmm. I bring it up, if I trigger it, you can you can kind of sort through the information in your brain and you can retrieve it almost like a file folder and then go, mm-hmm. okay, yes, this was Lexi's birthday, right? Mm-hmm. But for a sympathetic memory, our brain does not process that information the same way and it doesn't get stored in that part of our brain yeah. that's mm-hmm. for long-term memory. Your brain honestly doesn't quite know how to store it. And so it becomes this dislodged concept in your brain that's connected to um, maybe a flashing image or okay. um, an emotion or a physical sensation or a smell even. Mm-hmm. And so those ones, you can't necessarily access them just because you want to. So wow. if you talk to someone who's had trauma and you ask them about it, sometimes they'll say, well, I don't remember, right? Wow. They can't bring mm-hmm. it up. But I've, I've worked with women before where if they smell a certain scent, right, it might yeah. remind them of their abuser and then instantly they're having these flashing images or racing thoughts, right? Panic attacks mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, like. and so that's because that's a sympathetic memory. It's something you can't always actively, like, choose to draw up. Yeah. Sometimes it comes up on its own. So I'm just thinking about um, the movie Shutter Island. Mm-hmm. You know, have you, mm-hmm. are you familiar with that movie? It's been a while since I've seen it. Okay, but- so just quick recap. So... Spoiler alert! If you've never seen it, if you haven't seen it, it's been like what fifteen years. Come yeah, on, go at see some, it. At some point, there's <laughs> I'm a... just gonna say the end. You're All right. Up. So, um, anyways, Leonardo DiCaprio is like the main character, right? And he's on this super gnarly. There's California right there. Super gnarly. <laughs> super gnarly. Uh, <laughs> like insane asylum. <laughs> and they're running this big experiment, and he's the guy who's crazy, but he doesn't realize it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Everyone else realizes it, but they're running him through this like just they're out they're playing out like this fantasy to get him to recall that memory. Yeah. Mm. So is that is that kind of what you're talking about like he he had a traumatic event his wife died his wife killed his whole family mm-hmm. and then I think he ended mm. up walking in on that. Right. And that was a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. And so then he like kind of went bonkers but he wasn't like super like crazy he was still kind of normal but he was just kind of off. Yeah. And they were trying to get him to remember that. Is that kind of am I on the right page there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. that's definitely it's it's the difference between a cognitive mm. memory and a sympathetic memory okay. and so right. our brain kind of has defense mechanisms and mm. we'll get into some of the other ways mm. that this manifests but but yeah, you're exactly right that okay. his he basically was choosing to lock that part of his yeah. brain off and not even access it. Mm. Um, and so they were kind of trying to orchestrate these situations. Yeah. Now, just to clarify, we don't run any simulations at the True. new my project. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. But it was a really good movie. It's a good point. I like that movie. I think it just illustrates that that point. I I was having a hard time kind of understanding it Mm. and it popped into my head. Yeah. This is where things like PTSD and things like that Mm. live, those type of issues. Okay, so there's different categories, I'm assuming, right? Yes, there's different categories of trauma to think about. And I think this is just helpful for people because, again, trauma is a really broad term. And so um, everybody goes through bad things in their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But it may or may not actually be trauma. So to kind of help you sort through what are the different categories, one is acute trauma. So that's immediately following a traumatic event. And so that's almost like what we would call like reasonable trauma. Like Mm. there's a, you know, it's normal for... Like you get attacked by a dog. Yeah, that for a little while, you're going to be scared of dogs probably, right? And so over time, but it's related to a specific incident that was severe and then it tends to resolve itself like once you've worked through that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's different from chronic trauma. So this is typically something that is prolonged exposure to traumatic events. So Mm -hmm. this is the category where like ongoing abuse would fall into. So Mm -hmm. it's the same offender, the same type of abuse over a period of time. Sexual abuse or mental and physical abuse, verbal verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. 
domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the last category, and this is where a lot of the people who find themselves in counseling or seeking counseling, they often fall into this category, which is called complex trauma. And that basically means that they've had multiple different traumatic events over their lives that are of a different nature. And so um, a lot of times what will happen with that is you might have some trauma in your childhood. Um, you might have traumatic events in your adulthood. And then it's like you reach mm -hmm. a threshold and then this trauma has caught up with you essentially and you're not coping well with it anymore. Yeah, and we see this happen a lot um, in in certain, you know, like, like for instance, we talked about prison reform the other day. Uh -huh. This is a good example of someone, you know, they're in prison. They're they're going that cycle in and out. Right. They're they, they get a, a maybe a woman pregnant. That kid grows up without a father. There's that trauma. But then that kid maybe goes as he grows up, ends up on the streets as well, in there, or like you yeah, said, maybe ends up to the military. And they got that. Like we can see some of those so uh, we, compounding. I mean, is it aspects. almost like compounding trauma? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's so a complex, good word for compounding, it. Compounding, interchangeable there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, is that does this kind of lead up into like a like almost like a boiling point where they just snap and then they it can it okay. can um i think ultimately and again we'll get into some of the manifestations of trauma in a minute yeah. um but most people who have been through some type of trauma tend to develop their own coping mechanisms for that and it it works until it doesn't anymore mm. right? right and then um and then they realize that they they need some help. But I would say particularly yeah. what you'll see with trauma is that um, people will kind of begin to, like you were saying, repeat patterns. Mm -hmm. um, they'll maybe have struggles in their interpersonal relationships. And so they'll come to counseling for whatever the presenting issue is. But then as we work through it, we begin to realize, oh, okay, there's actually some stuff in your past that's worth looking at. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. it's really... Not necessarily that we need to like relive or reconstruct every single person's past, but when there's a habitual idolatry problem in someone's heart or a, a, right. a problem that, of sin that just keeps repeating itself, mm -hmm. it's worth asking the question, where did this right. problem come from? Mm -hmm. Right, and we talk about this often in counseling that, you know, we, we need to understand that history history doesn't define you, but it does explain where, how you got where you're at. Sure. And also around trauma, like we talked about cognitively, it, it creates beliefs, it creates associations. Yes, yes. And so now we've got also false beliefs about ourselves, about God, about life, that we have to deal with the event and then explain and understand what happened and then separate out the truth about God and, and who we are versus what happened to us. We got to kind of mm -hmm. sort out the the mess, if you will, yeah. Um, in order for someone to then heal past it and, and find freedom from it, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what, if any, are, are there any examples of people going through trauma and overcoming trauma in the Bible? Yeah, well, great yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think this is an important point because oftentimes, uh, what trauma can do in a person's heart and life is cause them to question the goodness of God. Right? There's yeah. this question that comes up of like, if God could allow this to happen to me then he must not really be good. Yeah, or he right. must not really care about me. And ultimately, that's just a misunderstanding of who God is and um, what his mm. word teaches. Um, but I think it's helpful to see that the people of God are not excluded from experiencing trauma in right. God's word or being perpetrators of it. Um, and mm. so I think some good examples, there's a lot in the Old Testament um, as well as the New Testament, but um, one that jumped out to me as I was preparing was in Second Samuel when mm. You know, you have King David who is, he's described after, as a man after God's heart, but we know he sinned, right? He sinned with Bathsheba. He, he sinned with Uriah. Um, and then later he fails to protect his daughter from the act of rape. Yeah. And then even when he finds out about it, instead of defending her, um, he essentially conspires to keep it hidden. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's something that we see in the church still, right? Is this is mm -hmm. an issue where if, if someone comes forward and says, I've been hurt in this way, historically, sometimes it's kept quiet, yeah. right? And then that creates even more injury. And that's right. not something that God approves of. The reason why these things are in scripture, I mean, mm -hmm. you can see, we can see the consequences of David's sin. God's heart was broken by this, these events and there were consequences for it. Yeah. Um, do you have an example you wanted to share? Well, I was going to say, you know, the <clears throat> what you're saying is, is great. And I, and I was just going to interject James chapter one, because a lot of times that same question is, you know, how can God be good? and allow these things to happen. Yeah. And James does a good job of explaining when he says, let one, no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Each mm -hmm. person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. God never stands directly behind evil, but for some reason he does allow evil to exist. And, and But the people who make those choices to sin, unfortunately some of us are at the hands of that choice mm-hmm. of sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I will say is, and we'll get to this later, I don't want to jump it too fast, but you know, comfort comes from the cross because we can look at that and say, well, we don't understand why God allows sin to still exist, but we can say that it must be necessary because of what Christ went through in order mm-hmm. to bring us to salvation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's hope there, even right. though. I wanted to just jump in on, I want to read some of Dave, King David's own words yeah. about, because you mentioned that he tried to conspire to keep his that, that a secret, you know, the mm-hmm. fact that he failed to protect his daughter from a rapist, you know, mm-hmm. which is super heavy, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just side note, like, I love the Bible because it's real. Like, it's just real talk, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's not, it's not fluffy fairy tale stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's right. really, really intense. Mm-hmm. But here's David's own words talking about his sin um, in Psalm 32. He says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and mm-hmm. in whose spirit there is no deceit. So now this is what he says about his own experience. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away mm-hmm. through my groaning all day long. Mm-hmm. For night and day, your hand was heavy upon me yeah. and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Mm. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, um, David maybe, I don't know if that's about that specific incident. There's plenty of them in his life, but mm-hmm. it's really, really instructive for us. You know what I mean? Stuffing and trying Absolutely. to hide things. Man, that's just not the way to go. I mean, David right. said it was so intense that it felt like the hand of God was just pressing him down. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I'm going to, I'm going to confess this to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So good. And there's yeah. some other examples. Laura, you, you have your floors. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot of examples and I want to hit on New Testament too, but. Yeah. You don't um, have to leave Genesis to find them. <laughs> I know. Like there's so many just in the book of Genesis and the right. history of the, um, of the Jewish people, but um, Judah. So we know that name, right? Like the tribe of Judah mm-hmm. uh, that Jesus came from, uh, the father of the tribe of Judah, he uh, impregnated his daughter-in-law and mm. then tried to have her burned to death to cover it up. Um, <laughs> Super gnarly. That's, that's hardcore. That yeah. is hardcore. And so, and again, like the point of going through these, because, and I think I'll, I'll put a trigger warning on this podcast yeah, before yeah, yeah, we post yeah. it, but um, but I, I want for pe- listeners to understand that um, there's nothing new under the sun and right. abuse has been happening since the beginning of time and God's not okay with it. No. Mm-hmm. Um, God is vehemently opposed to um, sin and to people suffering because right. of sin and he doesn't want, there's no value. He doesn't mm-hmm. find it to be virtuous to stay in a situation of avoidable abuse. Right. Right. right? Um, so another example, I, I like this one because it kind of hits on more neglect as opposed to open abuse, but Sarah, Abraham's wife, right? We all know that conflict with Isaac and Ishmael. She became so jealous of Hagar Mm. that she drove them out into the desert and was willing to let them die of thirst Mm, because of her own jealousy. So Mm. basically was willing to kill them. Um, In Genesis 22, we see Abraham offer Sarah up for sexual exploitation to protect himself from Mm. foreign rulers. Mm. Um, So God's people don't have a great um, reputation as far as avoiding being perpetrators of abuse and of trauma, but also experiencing it and then still being able to find God as mm-hmm. their comforter and as their healer. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Apostle Paul, I mean, like we could just like go down the list. Um, Stephen, right, being stoned, um, the Apostle Paul being abused. I'm going to um, pull up the Apostle Paul's list of traumas that he... That he <laughs> right? I'm going to just read it's it. It's a uh, long list. It's, uh, it's right here in... Second Corinthians chapter 10. I mean, it's, <laughs> and he's boasting about it. Like he's like, um, he's totally like saying, look, like well, I, the whole context is he's trying to compare himself to f- like fake apostles, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he basically says, look, if they were real, would they have gone through this? I'm trying to find it here. I don't have my Bible with me. I have this, this uh, electronic version. But essentially, he just goes down the list and he says, I've been beaten with rods. I've been shipwrecked at sea. And he lists off how mm-hmm. many days I've been stoned X amount of times. Mm-hmm. He got, so he was whipped like the way our, our Lord and Savior was whipped. Mm-hmm. He was whipped five times like that. 
It's mm-hmm. called the thir- the thirty nine uh, thirty nine lashes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Paul physically was just destroyed. Psychologically was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right. He was always you know he, he, was he went, isolated. He was on house arrest. He yeah. was in prison. Yeah. He was right. he was hungry. Like and, and but he said he learned the secret of of, uh, of how to be content. Christ, yeah. mm-hmm. And it was through Christ I can do all right. things. Right. And then not to mention, I mean, the most obvious one is our Lord and Savior Jesus right. himself, yeah. who was Did be- nothing wrong. betrayed by his one of his best friends. His uh, own people. You know, beaten, flogged, yeah. you know, killed, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, and he again, through the Lord, you know, through God is how yeah. he got through it. That's mm-hmm. right. Absolutely. I think that's kind of the most hopeful place to, to end in terms of talking about experiencing trauma, mm-hmm. yeah. which is just that Christ was executed in this way that was very sadistic, mm-hmm. intended to cause suffering, intended to uh, kind of stretch out the death process mm-hmm. as long as possible to just create as much suffering as possible mm-hmm. and he willingly subjected himself to that mm-hmm. um, to buy his people and yeah. um, right. our God is is not someone who is a stranger to trauma Mm-mm-mm-mm. right so he right. understands yeah right so what are some of the manifestations of trauma in people's lives like what are some of the things that that people mm-hmm. can go oh wow I didn't know that that was actually a manifestation of trauma mm-hmm. you know like some what are some examples that, that yeah. people can uh, identify with mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's a great question and I do want to just point out that um, statistically maybe it's higher but essentially about half of all people will go through some type of trauma mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have any of the things we're about to say um, right. it's not necessarily cause and effect some people naturally process and recover through time and mm-hmm. through their personal relationship with the Lord um, mm-hmm. but there are some people who experience long-term side effects and so what do those look like I think yeah. the most common one that we're familiar with is PTSD. We've learned mm-hmm. much more about that because of um, our soldiers who come back from wartime experiences with lots of different um, symptoms. Right. But you can have PTSD even if you've not been in a, in a yeah. war zone. Other types of abuse cause it too. Exactly. So some of the common symptoms uh, for that are having nightmares or insomnia, like being afraid to go to sleep or unable to sleep. Hmm. Um, somatic issues, which that just means like a physical manifestation of the trauma. So that can be things like chronic headaches or nausea, digestive issues, mm-hmm. um, struggling with intimate relationships, um, persistent fear, anxiety, anger, Shame, which we'll circle back to shame. That's an important one. Um, aggression. Uh, and then those who struggle with suicidal ideation and mm-hmm. then uh, just difficulty with trust and choosing to isolate. Those are all pretty common symptoms of someone who's struggling with trauma. I have a question mm-hmm. then. Sure. So, okay. So some of these things, like I've certainly experienced in my life and uh, like aggression, for example, mm-hmm. and anger and fear and anxiety. Like these are, these are, fairly com- I mean these are very common mm-hmm. in the human experience mm-hmm. so what would categorize this as a manifestation of trauma and not just like you're a human being who naturally will express this at some point in right. your life yeah I think the the distinction would be that these are chronic issues and they're pretty severe issues okay so I'm not able to keep functioning with the level of fear that I have on a daily basis so because yeah like I'm not going to get in my car I've had a car accident and it was 20 years ago but I still can't drive or I still can't turn left or I still can't there's mm-hmm. like persistent over time mm-hmm. things that just plague me with fear and mm-hmm. that are not going away yeah. got it yeah that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Another common one that Chad already mentioned is panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is important to mention because of what we were talking about before with the sympathetic nervous system. So again, those short neural pathways, they're connected to emotions, to physical sensations, to flashing mm-hmm. images. They're not necessarily a cognitive uh, memory. So oftentimes what's happening with a panic attack is that something will cause that memory to come up and then the person begins to have a physical response to that mm-hmm. memory as if they're re-experiencing it. In real life, yeah. So mm-hmm. physiologically and physically, your fear response, your fight or flight is at a 10. You're sweating, heart racing. I mean, you're literally panicking. Yeah. But there's no real um, danger other than what's in your in your memory, right. in your head. Exactly. Wow. That's mm-hmm. powerful to mm-hmm. think about, you mm-hmm. know. It yeah. shows you how powerful your belief mind. is. Yeah, your belief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and the last one that is really common that you'll see um, as far as Uh, diagnosed issues following trauma is dissociation. Mm -hmm. And so that means essentially a person will disconnect from themselves in order to just avoid painful experiences. And it's a coping mechanism, like we mentioned earlier, that maybe if they experienced prolonged abuse as a child, they kind of learned how to just 
turn their brain off, not pay attention to what's happening, go to some other type of place in their mind. Mm -hmm. But then it becomes something that they can't always control or something that they practice in their daily lives. And so they'll do things like drive somewhere and not know how they got there or um, have conversations and not remember them later. And it's because they've actually created this disconnect that they can either do willingly or unwillingly where they're just not present in their mind. So if someone's driving a vehicle... And they're they're in this dis- dissociative state. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know what else to call it. Yeah, that's right. They're still cognitively aware of what's going on. Like it's not like they're drunk behind the wheel, right? I mean, they're not going to start swerving off the road. I mean, I don't know. I'm asking you a question. Yeah, but. no. Usually, what will happen is that it's almost like uh, sleepwalking. Like a person who is sleepwalking, they might be able to open their door, go down mm-hmm. the stairs, right? They they can perform tasks, but mm-hmm. then they have no memory of it later. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I'm just thinking through someone who's sleepwalking. It's almost like being on autopilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but you're not actually making cognitive memories at the time because mm-hmm. you're you've you've figured out a way to. And this is something that I've not experienced. Yeah. So I've I've, I've worked with people that struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really common in people who had severe um, abuse as a child, mm-hmm. um, where they they will just disconnect from reality. And uh, even though you're saying their name or touching their arm or something yeah. like that, they're like not able to rejoin the conversation. Um, Do they just kind of like zone out, like stare yeah. Forward sometimes they of? just kind of just zone out mm-hmm. are they responsive do they talk back sometimes they're not sometimes mm-hmm. it's almost like just sitting there um, and just like most things there's different levels of mm-hmm. this you know some mm-hmm. people you can they'll snap back in but yeah. some some people can go into real deep states of it too depending on the trauma mm-hmm. they've experienced mm-hmm. wow so this is something that like when we're doing counseling with someone who has a history of trauma that we kind of assess for because we this we don't ever want to like push someone into that state right and it's so important to create safety mm-hmm. um, emotional and, and mental safety for somebody before you start talking about trauma. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you said you wanted to circle back to shame. Yeah. So shame is a really important one. And you might want to speak to this too, Chad, mm-hmm. um, because it's a complicated one um, in the sense that there's an element of our own sin here as well yeah. in terms of yeah. how we think about ourselves and what we believe about ourselves. But yeah. it's really just this perpetual sense of not measuring up and not mm-hmm. being good enough and self-loathing. Mm-hmm. And so the truth needs to enter into that. Yeah. Um, but I think the way that it expresses itself is in a lot of different ways. And so mm-hmm. typically people who have deep-rooted shame, you'll see some of these things. So you'll see things like poor self-esteem, depression, insecurity, jealousy, codependency is a big one, mm-hmm. um, comparison and competition being unable to receive criticism, blaming others for their decisions, uh, mm-hmm. feeling out of place, being very self-focused and self-centered. Um, people with deep-seated shame are more prone to addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're more prone to sabotage healthy relationships and also just more prone to be unaware of their feelings and kind mm-hmm. of detached emotionally. Yeah, and just like we talked about with trauma, it develops beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, let's, let's take something like sexual abuse. There's a belief there created that my worth is diminished. My my I'm I'm less than human in a lot of ways, right? And so this belief can get started, and so now we attach that belief um, to who I am, and not define it by the way Christ defines me, but I'm defining it now by this belief of because of what happened to me, I must be less than, right? Mm-hmm. You, you pair that with our our own pride, which is wanting to be good enough in our own right, and that's how you get shame. And it just attaches into your identity and into everything instead of being able to see how God's actually created me, what's true, yeah. what's real, and then being able to trust who God says I am versus what I believe based on what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's mm-hmm. a real tough thing. And, yeah. and so, and it's hard because that doesn't make sense, right? Like you, you can't compute. Why would someone treat me like this? Why would this happen to me unless I was less than, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a real belief that starts there. But then there's, but then, like I said, that underbelly of pride, that self pity, that self, um, the desire to be good enough in oneself, mm-hmm. attaches with that belief, and now we've got shame, and we see a lot of these things right. coming out. You know, what's interesting too is the word. One of the words for sin mm-hmm. uh, in the New Testament is hamarshia, which is a uh, archery term, means to miss the mark. Mm. That's interesting there because it ties in with a lot of those things, you know, um, right? Insecurity, right? Like not being mm-hmm. feeling like you are adequate mm-hmm. enough, right? You're just like always missing that mark, mm-hmm. never quite measuring up to, right? You know, uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God. You right. know, that is what Romans three twenty three, mm-hmm. discussing sin. 
Right. So that's just an interesting observation. Right. And it, we see it a lot in our culture. And, I, you know, like mm-hmm. I think of the example of the guy pulling up in the big truck and everybody's like, oh, he thinks he's so cool. Right. <laughs> but like right. really internally, we also joke about overcompensating. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's like these co- competitive behaviors or comparing behaviors or however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. It's actually coming from a place of insecurity and shame mm-hmm. and trying to establish for everybody else that I'm not a waste of space, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like trying right. to establish it um, for everybody else because internally you feel so bad about yourself. Wow, so is that like right. in the garden when it said that Adam and Eve's eyes were open and they were aware of their nakedness? And they were ashamed. And they tried to cover themselves. Absolutely. Right, because... Mm-hmm. This is old stuff right here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we'll get into the solution. I won't, you know, I keep jumping. Don't jump the gun. I keep jumping the gun <laughs> and step on Laura's toes. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay. And I, I should say too that a lot of this stuff, um, as we were preparing for this podcast, Mm-hmm. Um, comes from the book Mending the Soul by Stephen R. Tracy. And so these kind of these categories that I'm going through now about shame, and then there's two other categories, which are powerlessness and isolation. Um, I love the way that he defines those manifestations because the things we hear about in culture, like the PTSD and the panic attacks, like mm-hmm. those are more like external uh, manifestations. But these other ones are kind of a more spiritual approach of like what's actually going on in your heart. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what we do, right? We look at the heart. And mm-hmm. so um, these are the things that we see kind of behind the scenes that are going on right yeah so um, shame is the first the second one is powerlessness um, which is essentially just having a total lack of hope for the future so like mm-hmm. I'm going to disengage I'm going to numb myself I'm going to try not to do anything that causes me to have any types of flashbacks or memories right so I just feel totally dead inside um, and then the last one is isolation um, and uh, just that's pretty self-explanatory but you just defensively pull away so it's like if people are going to hurt me then I don't need people so I'm just going to pull away and we see this in scripture too Um, in the book of Jeremiah you have a prophet who like knows God personally right and who speaks on behalf of God and yet when he experiences abuse at the hands of the high priest he allows that to cause him to recoil from God despite knowing the truth about who God is he still allows that mistrust to develop in his heart and so this is another common thing that we'll see with trauma is that the isolation isn't just towards people but it's towards God as well like Mm -hmm. I just need to have a general lack of vulnerability which do you want to explain really quick how that connects to the idol of power so we see this manifest uh, in, in an idol of power meaning in the idol of power we want to control others and our surroundings to protect ourselves from vulnerability. A lot of people who experience abuse lend themselves towards this because the thought process is, well, if I, if I can control the people in my life, I can keep myself safe, mm-hmm. right? And so isolation, but only going so far in relationships to like really share, open up because I don't want to go too far. Cause it's like last, keeping people at uh, arms, arms right. Exactly. Or I'm going to just manipulate. I'm going to give what I right. know will get me this. Yeah, manipulation. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, idol power, you know, a lot of times comes to your mind, which is also true. Uh, you become an abuser yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you might you might lord over other people. You might even be physically abusive and things. That's the, kind of the more extreme version of that, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times... Um, you know, Laura and I, when we go over cases a lot, it's like, have you checked that idol? Because it's probably, you know, if we're talking about abuse, mm-hmm. you know, mm. it could be happening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? Just as another observation. I, I, I'm looking at the list here that, you know, you sent me when you were preparing for this podcast. And some of these things, uh, some of these characteristics of shame are like celebrated in our culture now. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they've gone the opposite direction to sort of like, bring it out in the open, but then celebrate it like self-focus, right? Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. dude, we're the selfie generation, mm-hmm. you know? Um, some of these other things, uh, definitely definitely unable to accept criticism. It's almost like the <laughs> cancel culture right, you know, that's, that's what out that there. Is, I mean, yeah. that this is a extreme of that inability to accept any sort of criticism, mm-hmm. you know? And that, right. they, they developed an entire culture around yeah. it. And so that's, I think that's an interesting thing where... We see ourselves in our culture currently. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Romans one. We've talked about this in our in our previous podcast. But Romans right. one, we're kind of at the bottom of Romans one. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about when I say Romans one, just go read Romans chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think I find that kind of interesting how we're now at a point where we we when I say we, I just mean in general in culture, we don't want to acknowledge these realities mm-hmm. that we do as mm-hmm. a human race have just fundamentally deep-seated shame because of sin. Exactly. And if we're unwilling to acknowledge, if we're unwilling to call sin what it is, it's Mm -hmm, sin, mm -hmm. then we just come up with all these creative ways to sort of like 
not deal with it. Yeah. Well, and you just said it correctly. We're talking about trauma today, but with or without trauma, sin, we automatically have insecurities because anytime we try to find our identity in anything other than Christ himself mm-hmm. and, the, and through the gospel, we're going to have insecurities. We're going to have shame. We're going to we're going to try to fill those voids with mm-hmm. things of the world, which we're seeing, like you said, with cancel culture and so, right. you know social media and everything else that we see. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why all mental health issues continue to get worse instead of better. Right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So we got to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting observation that we're seeing in our culture now. So what is the solution? How can trauma be healed? Mm-hmm. So the hopeful part of our podcast. Yes. Right. Honestly, I'll just <laughs> say this. It. Y'all are defining the old mic right here in this, in this <laughs> section of shame. I'm like, wow. Yeah. God has done a lot of work. Sure. In my myself, life. myself included. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah. But how can we be healed of this trauma issue? Great question. Mm-hmm. Um, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you brought up that passage from Psalm 32. Uh, Mm -hmm. which is that silence isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. And I had a professor back when I was working on my um, counseling degree, and she would always say, you can only stick the garbage in the closet for so long. (laughs) (laughs) Like eventually it's going to stink. And eventually somebody's going to come to your house and be like, it stinks in here. So yeah. So essentially um, the first step to trauma being healed and being able to work through and process and have God begin to work in your life in this area is to turn and to face the beast. Mm. Um, I think the truth is, and this is, this is where Mm. I'm so grateful for biblical counseling and I'm so grateful for the Nehemiah project because we can have somebody come in and and ignore Mm. the gospel and help them process their trauma and talk about it and feel better and walk away feeling healed. But True healing doesn't happen outside of full surrender, full repentance, Mm -hmm. which means I have to look at the things that I've also been doing in response to this trauma. And just because I went through trauma doesn't justify the fact that I'm fully self-reliant or that by choosing to ignore my trauma, I'm Mm -hmm. denying that God is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. He says he's all powerful, that he's good, that he's the comforter. And if I say my trauma is too big to look at, then what I'm saying is God's not big enough. God's not who he says he is. Mm -hmm. So um, I found just... Second Corinthians chapter one, Chad, if you want to read that, that passage yeah. is just so hopeful and helpful mm-hmm. when it comes to just being healed um, in this area of life. Right. Yeah. Paul says in second Corinthians, we've already established that Paul understands affliction and trauma. Oh yeah. Right. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort mm-hmm. who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Mm-hmm. For we, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we uh, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired to life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Mm-hmm. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deli- and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Mm. So good. Yeah. I love too, I was reading it in the NIV and you know, people will often talk about hard things in life and say, God can't give you more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not actually in the Bible. No, that's not true. Um, <laughs> and so Paul is saying that we were under such great pressure, it was far beyond our ability to endure. Mm-hmm. So much so that we thought about ending our lives. That's that Paul yeah. said that. Yeah. Right. Um, but we don't have to depend on ourselves. Right. We don't have to find our way out. We don't have to provide for our own mm-hmm. comfort. The God who has power over death is our deliverer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. He He graciously answers us when we call out to Him. Right. Um, and He graciously wants to meet us in our suffering and begin that yeah. process of healing because ultimately you can't begin to address the lies that are underneath your beliefs about yourself and about God um, if you don't face the reality. Yeah. We say often that honesty is the key to freedom. Mm -hmm. And um, 
we often talk about it as unscrambling an egg. You know, usually when you've experienced trauma, like Laura's already said, you respond to that trauma with more sin yourself. And so now you've yeah. got your own sin to repent of. You've got other sins to to understand, deal with, forgive, mm-hmm. you know, um, move past, trust the Lord in, seek His comfort. There's so many things that need to happen. Um, but that sounds like an impossible task to unscramble an egg, but with God it's not. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to mention one more biblical example of the healing part of trauma, mm-hmm. um, which also comes from Genesis. We've been in Genesis <laughs> a lot today. <laughs> yeah. But the story of Joseph, right? So this is someone who whose own brothers mm-hmm. beat him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. Mm-hmm. And um, even when he was in slavery, he endured more abuse, um, accusations, mm-hmm. right? But because he was faithful to God, God uh, redeemed that situation. And then years later, here come his brothers, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and if he had been responding out of a place of trauma or out of a place of wanting to make himself feel better or even shame, mm-hmm. um, he probably wouldn't have responded to his brothers <laughs> the way that he did, right? right? And so uh, he didn't run from the reality, right? When, when, they, when they were coming, he didn't just go say like, I'm not going to deal with this, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he also ultimately met them with um, grace, which is a reflection of how he was met by right. God. Yeah, he understood he, that what what they meant for evil, God meant for good, and, yeah. and that actually God used that to put Joseph in the position to actually save the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to comment on that. The, the verse that Chad just quoted is at the end of uh, chapter fifty in Genesis. It mm-hmm. says, "As for you, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers. You, what you did uh, to me." Uh, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good mm-hmm. to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And I think that that's so interesting because Joseph had a perspective change mm-hmm. on his circumstances. Like first right. and foremost, he wasn't concerned about his own well-being anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he knew the God of his salvation, right? And so he realized, oh my goodness, like I can't. I'm not going to die. I'm right. going to be with the living one, the eternal right. one, forever. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, like my purpose here on earth is no longer about me. Mm-hmm. It's about other people, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the Jesus boiled the entire law down to two things, right. love God and love other people, essentially. Yeah. And I think that that's so key. And it's, you, can, you can tell when someone's had a real breakthrough mm-hmm. or like you can call them like they've sort of matured mm-hmm. that they now, they don't look at their life. It's like all about me and my comfort. And we mm-hmm. so often in our culture, I know I'm definitely guilty of this. Mm-hmm. I'm self-centered. Like I think about the highest goal for me today is to be comfortable and to or to avoid suffering right mm-hmm. at all costs but like once you come to Christ once you start to mature in Christ and mm-hmm. you start to understand who the god of your salvation is right. that all changes cuz he's like it's like Paul said for me to die mm-hmm. is gain right like the greek word for profit it's like profitable for me to pa- to pass because I will be with the lord forever so right. have your way god have your way in my mm-hmm. life today right even if that means suffering and when you establish the gospel in in your life and work through what happened to you and understand it biblically one of the, one of the biggest ways of healing is when you find purpose in what happened to you for the purpose of advancing the gospel and helping mm-hmm. others who are struggling with the same thing yeah. that's what paul is saying in in second corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4 he says who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted yeah. by mm-hmm. god yeah mm-hmm. and so that the the holistic aspect of the healing it, it doesn't end with the person mm-hmm. but that as they begin to see their life in the way that God designed it and see purpose yeah. in their life beyond what has happened to them but how they can now be a part of the change for yeah. other people mm-hmm. pay it forward yeah that's where true healing comes from mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely so um just want to walk through some practical structure as far as what is our approach to healing trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this comes from mending the soul. Um, and the reason I like this is because these steps aren't always linear. Mm-hmm. Um, like things, healing from trauma doesn't always take place in, a, in, in an orderly fashion, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But I do think <laughs> it kind of la- lays out some goals and some things that have to happen Mm -hmm. um, in order for that healing to be authentic. And the goal is just to take you from a place of being disconnected or hiding from the truth or isolated or in shame to this place of being able to be spiritually healthy and honest and authentic Mm -hmm. and emotionally open and present in your life. Um, But most importantly, you know, that your life isn't all about the trauma anymore, Mm -hmm. like you guys have been saying, right? right? So the first one, 
is to establish safety. So what that looks like is if the if the abuse is ongoing and you're in an unsafe situation, then we need to make provisions for that and right. ensure that you're literally safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also means to establish emotional safety within that counseling relationship mm-hmm. and within the counseling room. So right. there has to be some rapport there. There has to be some trust. Um, it's not the kind of thing that you want to like walk in on day one and just go straight to right. the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Let's cut to the chase, but what happened? Yeah, right now. exactly. Not and a good idea. Right. Yeah. But also even just to lay some ground rules of like, mm. let's go ahead and establish, like, let's make sure you know how to do your diaphragmatic breathing. Like, let's mm. make sure you're not going to stop breathing on me, right? right? Let's make what sure. Is di- say, can you, what is diaphragmatic? Diaphragmatic breathing. Diaphragmatic breathing. Diaphragmatic breathing. Is, <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially, again, some, a mechanism that God gave us mm-hmm. to switch from our sympathetic nervous system, mm-hmm. which is that emergency danger nervous system, over to parasympathetic, which is everything's mm-hmm. okay. So what you do is you literally, the goal is that you want to push, should we all practice it together? So (laughs) you want to push your belly out as Mm -hmm. you inhale, right? So your diaphragm is extending down into your abdomen. The bottom lobes of your lungs are actually filling up with air. And then when you exhale, you're engaging your abdominals and you're pushing all of that air out of your belly and breathing it back out. You know what that's called in the weight room? What's it called? The Valsalva maneuver. There you go. That's an actual thing that powerlifters do. I tell all my clients, yeah. I just I say it incorrectly. I say diaphragmically breathe. Yeah. So that goes to show up <laughs> my level of expertise. But no, it's good for bracing. But I, yeah, I practice yeah. it all the time when I get super stressed out. Yeah. And I hold my breath for a little bit. Like not try to hold it for like length of time. Sure, but, just but like take a beat before you exhale. To relegate. I tell my athletes when, mm-hmm. when I was coaching rugby last year, mm-hmm. I said, you guys, when, when your heart rate starts beating out of your chest, because right. these are young guys, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They don't know mm-hmm. that they're the ones in control of right. their mind. right. And I always tell them, look, when you guys are, you, when you're stressed on the field or, or you're starting to run out of breath, breathe down into your belly, hold it for like one, two, three, exhale. Let that heart beat like really fast. And you're going to notice after about three, three to five of those breaths, your heart rate is going to come down. Mm-hmm. And you are in control. So it establishes that sense of control right. over what's going on in your brain. Right. right. Which is, I mean, it connects so well because what we're trying to do early on is is stop the the panic, stop right. the chaos, and and get the the physiological chaos under control, and then mm-hmm. be able to deal with the beliefs that you are with think it. Clearly. Right. right, and so many of these incidences of of trauma mm-hmm. are just things that are totally out of control, and so it is important right. as you're navigating through these conversations that a person doesn't. Um, feel as if it's happening to them, mm-hmm. right? They need to be a participant right. in the process, stay present. So to give you some tools to help mm-hmm. you do that, I teach most of my clients several different just grounding exercises. I keep essential oils in my office that have Young like a strong scent. <laughs> I wasn't going to name drop. But, <laughs> but smell is our strongest sense. And it's, um, again, like these are all things that God designed, right? And so to be able to like pick up Mm -hmm. a bottle of lavender oil and experience that as being calming is using the natural mechanisms that God gave you to be able to calm down and stay in control of your body. Right, and to be clear, these are all just ways to get us calm enough to then deal with the heart. Deal with the problem. Yeah, I'll tell you another thing that I've heard with PTSD, um, especially especially people from war, uh, another practice that goes along with the breathing, what you all talked about, was actually um, one guy when he does and he talks through the events. He has a bottle, have bottles of water, mm-hmm. and when they start to get a little bit panicked, they got to take a drink, mm-hmm. and it forces them. Like when you're drinking, you right. can't, you can't, you can't over. You yeah. know, you have to like slow relax. down enough to you have to relax to drink it, and, and it. He does that to help talk through, and and where he got that from was a lot of times in old war times. One of the ways that we saw healthier, even in worse wars soldiers were healthier even like world war one and stuff because they had the practice of sitting around after a battle a fire drinking and talking talking it out and drinking okay and like that's where he got the idea but mm-hmm. it, it functionally worked to calm yeah. down and process what mm-hmm. happened that's great yeah. so once you have sta- safety established the next step is to choose to face the truth and to not run from the emotions that that brings up so mm. um Telling the story is part of that process. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always establish with clients as well that emotions have a purpose, that God gave us those emotions, that our emotions are one of the ways in which we reflect the image of God and the complexity of God because he has emotions, Mm -hmm. but that we should look at them as like visitors or like waves. Like a lot of times we run from negative emotions because we think they're never going to end. It's never going to be over. But until you actually stop and feel it, it's always going to be sitting on your back. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And so choosing to look at it and to feel what you need to feel is a part of that processing and being able to reconstruct events and tell the story is a part of shifting from those memories, memories we talked about, right? So those, those sympathetic memories uh, that are just flashbacks and feelings and physical sensations. When you actually stop and talk about it, you're literally moving that memory over Mm -hmm. to the cognitive side Mm. and you're reconstructing the events that took place. So now I can actually file this away in my brain as a a memory that's whole and that I have some control over when I retrieve it instead Mm. of it it just being triggered. And make sense of it and actually begin to work through the belief of it. Mm -hmm. Because until you get to that place, you can't look at the distortions in your belief. So that's actually step four. Yeah. is to identify the distortion. So we would call that, um, that's our like where our dismantling step starts happening. Right? Step so, number one in our process. Yeah, is where we start looking at what lies are you actually believing that mm. aren't true? And then step five is to begin to replace that with the truth, mm-hmm. right? So that sounds wow. like what we do anyway, right? right so right. what like what Chad was talking about, about mm-hmm. if I have decided that I'm not worth anything and the only way to receive love is by being, uh, is in this sexual way because of the abuse that I've right. experienced. And so now I'm living very counter to what God says is mm-hmm. biblical and is mm-hmm. right. And I feel even worse about myself, right? So it's like we have to get to the bottom of where that belief comes comes from to be able to say, no, actually the way that we re- give and receive love isn't primarily sexual, mm-hmm. right? We can look scriptures really clear about yeah. love and also um, about our identity and who we are in Christ. And mm-hmm. so replacing those those lies with the truth of God's design Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add there? No, I, I completely agree. I was just thinking this kind of a side note, but true, kind of a dig at especially our, our males who struggle with pornography. Realize all those women that you're watching probably feel this way about themselves and have past trauma. That's mm-hmm. why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. They don't actually want to be there, and uh, you're mm-hmm. participating in that. So mm-hmm. let that hit you a little right. bit. Yeah. And, and, well, and the other, I think the other side might be true as well. Like guys that are let's say, quote-unquote, sex addicts, right? Like, yeah. I mean, if they've experienced some sort of trauma where they, they feel they have no worth, right? For and sure. I, even I relate to that. You yeah. Know what I mean, I've, like, you guys know mm-hmm. my story. I've told it a thousand times mm-hmm. on this podcast, but I grew up thinking I was the issue, and that's why my parents split up. Yeah. And, and so I acted out in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways, only ways that I understood love to be before I became a Christian was, like, physically expressing that yeah. through sex, through touching, through kissing, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so... When I became a Christian, I, I realized that's not correct. That's completely wrong. It's super destructive. Right. But before that, I had like no other frame of reference. And I find sure. that a lot, even with the younger guys that I train, mm-hmm. it's like I talk to them a lot, you know, about about what's going on in their life. And, yeah. and if they feel like they want to talk about it, then we, right. we discuss that. But it's like they have no other frame of reference yeah. other than like sex is the expression of love. And so mm-hmm. if I say I love this girl, whether I'm 14 or 34, right? Right. right. The only way I'm going to show that is by having yeah. sex with them. It's a, it can be from a place of trauma, but also like we talked about earlier with like uh, cancel culture and stuff, mm. like just the prevailing thought of the world is those beliefs about, you know, perversion mm. of sex and stuff. So, you know, you're growing up, I, I was that guy too. Right. That's what you're taught. Like if you're a man, if you're cool, if you're, you know, whatever, like that's part of the equation, right? Mm-hmm. And this does, I mean, I know we talked about at the beginning in terms of the biblical worldview, but this literally goes straight back to the fall. <laughs> yeah, if you look right. at the consequences that were doled out after Mm -hmm. you know even just like look at what women it says like you're gonna long for your husband basically Mm -hmm. so it's like this Mm -hmm. desire to be loved and to to experience that in the wrong way and also want want his position yeah right right and so um i think again like the trauma comes in and complicates being able to address that right belief so this is kind of that unscrambling process like chad was talking about is like some of this stuff might come from culture some of this might come from how you were brought up but if you've understood it and like you've been in church or you've learned, oh, this is wrong, but I'm still struggling with it, mm-hmm. then like maybe that we need to unpack and work through some trauma to help sure, yeah. you to see the distortions clearly and replace them with the truth. And then the sixth mm-hmm. step is repentance. And so yeah. I love that in this process that mm-hmm. that's included and that it's also kind of once you're safe, once you've worked through some of the feelings, that then you can turn and face not only the truth of the trauma, but the truth of what you're contributing, mm-hmm. the truth of the unhealthy coping, the truth of the misplaced worship and the idolatry in your own heart mm-hmm. that may be related to this trauma and to acknowledge that the healing doesn't actually come until the repentance happens in your own heart as right. well. Right. Would it be safe to, this might be 
quite a stretch. But would it be safe to say that the first trauma was the disobedience in the garden of all humans? Mm. You can make that. You can make that stretch. I'm looking probably. at all these these things that we've been discussing, and I'm like, yeah. these are universal. I mean, they were definitely know. lied to. You know, they all I mean, experienced shame, right? There. I guess, I guess yeah. you could consider. You know, they were manipulated and lied to by Satan. So that's, I guess, that's a form of it. But maybe a little bit. Yeah. Well, no, but the, tra- <laughs> the trauma of being separated God from and God then separated. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, and, and Cast yeah. out. All into of the, the cascading effects of yeah. that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's I wonder true. if that is something that has just because these are all universally known with human beings. No oh, matter yeah. where you grow up, you feel shame, you feel guilt, and you do all these things mm-hmm. right? in different in different um, quantities, I would say, in different intensities. But right. I wonder if that would be accurate to say that. Just speculation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we can clearly establish that the world is not the way it was intended to be. Right. And the way that it is now is not what it was meant to be. And so mm-hmm. God never intended for trauma to be a part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, he provides us with the truth that we need to be able mm-hmm. to heal and so the last step of this whole process is to allow yourself to mourn and move forward so this doesn't mean that the healing is ever going to um you know bring you to a place of not feeling sad that you had to go through something difficult right Right. um however like you guys were saying that there can be purpose brought to it Mm -hmm. um that the moving forward daring to have hope for your future again is being able to Mm -hmm. say this actually doesn't define um, who right. I am, it doesn't define who mm-hmm. God is, mm-hmm. and there is life after trauma. Right, restructure the belief upon what's true about God, his character, and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Much like you did rightly bringing up Joseph, you know, he restructured all what happened to him in the place of, well, if God's sovereign in control, and I, he could see then like, the purpose behind why mm-hmm. he was brought to where he was brought to mm-hmm. in order to be the vessel that That's saved freedom. Israel. It's freedom. That is freedom right yeah. there. Yeah. That is freedom. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. The last two things on here, these are kind of things that I just kind of tacked on the end because I felt like it was important that mm-hmm. these are our goals for every client that comes right. to my project is that there's a reconnection with the Lord primarily. And Either then the also, first time or exactly. through repentance, you know. Exactly. So healthy relationship with God that is intimate, that's um, emotion, that's very connected, right? right? It's something that's a vibrant mm-hmm. um, walk with God and not just going through the motions. And then also to be in healthy Christian community. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes people that have been through hard things uh, will, will, will want to withdraw. And so to me, a sign of truly being integrated and reaching mm-hmm. a place of healing is recognizing the need for community in your life and seeking it out and desiring it. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking all about trauma and it's obviously a heavy topic. And one of the things that we've been continually saying is God did not intend for this, right? Yeah. But we've also said that he can use evil for his purposes and the end mm-hmm. result is good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not trying to downplay any of the experiences that some of our listeners have had. And, and to be sure, we have certainly ourselves had very traumatic experiences, yeah. but we have reconnected with God. And when he has restructured, reshaped, our perspective, mm-hmm. our focus is no longer on our own comfort, our own protection, um, our own lives even. Our focus is now on glorifying God, living the life that he has for us by completing the, the, the jobs or the tasks or the duties or the ministry, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. by completing whatever he's put in front of you. And that is what brings glory and honor to him. And, and I just want to give you guys hope before we end this you know, God didn't intend for life to be this way. He uses evil. He uses sin for his purposes. And he's provided a way for your sin to be forgiven, which Mm -hmm. is through faith in Christ Jesus alone. But the end of the Bible ends in a really, really beautiful way. And I just want to read um, before Chad finishes, finishes us off. I want to read from Revelation chapter 21, and I've read this before, <laughs> but I just want you guys out there listening in case you've never heard the end result of time because time is linear. It has an end point, um, and it's a good thing. It says this in Revelation chapter 21. This is verses one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
he will wipe away every tear from their eyes mm -hmm. and death shall be no more. Mm, amen. Neither shall there be any mourning, mm -hmm. nor crying, mm -hmm. nor pain anymore mm -hmm. for the former things have passed away. Yeah. Right. Well, as we close up, and uh, Laura, thanks for putting this all together. Uh, Got to give her credit for all the, the good info that we have here. I want to just finish up with, you know, our, our mission statement is to, to um, what was it again? I always say it backwards. Replacing. <laughs> replacing. Our mission statement is, on, is replacing it. hopelessness with hope. I always want to say um, to restore, <laughs> or, like I always mess up the first word. It's you okay, know? brother. Replacing hopelessness with hope. That's right. Uh, I had a, a brain fart there. <laughs> So with that being said, I just want to leave people with, where do you find hope? And that's in Christ himself. And here's what Hebrews says about Jesus, especially when you're thinking through things like trauma. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace mm. that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So that's my encouragement as we uh, leave here for people. who and, and if you're needing help to work through this, please reach out to us here at the Nehemiah Project. We'd be more than um, honored to help you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.